That's my favorite song. Nobody sings it better than Truman. Nobody plays it better than Mary and Karen. What a blessing. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 30. While you're turning there, I'm going to use the King James Version this morning. Uh, this week as I was meditating on this, the beauty of the King James language. There's just nothing that can surpass that. I, I love the ESV. I love the NIV. I even like the HCSB, uh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, or as those of us that are Baptists like to call it, the hardcore Southern Baptist version. Uh, we decided we wanted to have our own version, so that's what the HCSB. By the way, we're going to start giving the HCSB to people we baptize because we can no longer get the pre-2010 versions of the NIV. And uh, if you're buying a new Bible, let me encourage you to look on the inside. And if you're buying an NIV Bible, make sure it was printed before 2010, because all NIV Bibles since 2010 have been a new edition. And I do not agree with the changes they made. The, the most glaring to me is that if you have a red letter edition and you turn to John chapter 3, uh, the words of Jesus beginning in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, talking to Nicodemus, have always gone through the John 3.16 passage, but in the New Translation, uh, they interpret those to be the words of John and not of Jesus, and they're not in red letters. You say, what difference does that make? Well, I, have, I happen to believe those were Jesus' words because not only did he say John 3.16, he said, he who believes not is condemned already. And it's important to know those were not John's observations about Jesus. Those were Jesus' testimony about himself. So uh, I don't want to discourage you or disparage you. If you have a 2010 or 2011 version, just read it and understand that. But we are going to start giving out HCSB Bibles uh, to our new converts for that reason. And, and that, I, I think it's that serious. So uh, I just want to make you aware of that. Well, let's stand together as we shall respect for the reading of God's Word. And this is the word of the living God. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, Matthew gives us a very concise view of the Lord's Supper. And as we celebrate and observe the Lord's Supper today, I want us to remember we're going to be with Jesus at the Lord's Supper. You'll notice that when we serve the Lord's Supper, I give the bread and the cup, and the chairman of deacons gives the bread and the cup to our deacons, and they pass it among you, and then you pass it among yourselves, and then we bring the elements back here, we place them on the table, and we do not partake of the Lord's Supper until everybody has a piece of bread or has the cup in their hand. Uh, because even though we're individually doing this, we're also doing it collectively as the body of Christ. And uh, one of the things about the Lord's Supper, the Bible says that we need to examine ourselves every time we come to the Lord's table. I hope you've already done that, but if you haven't, let me tell you what you need to do. First of all, you need to make sure that you're saved. The Lord's t table is for those who are saved. It's not for lost people. 
Uh, it's not for people who think there may be a God, but they're not sure, but they want to take the Lord's Supper and uh, thinking that will help them. The Bible is very, very specific about that. This table is not the table of the church nor the table of the pastor. It is the table of the Lord. But the Bible says every person, every person ought to examine themselves. Uh, I have never instructed deacons to withhold the Lord's Supper from anyone. Uh, we don't do that here because the Bible says a man should examine himself. We have children here today. And I hope you parents will use this opportunity to teach your children uh, that children who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior should partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, you say, well, what about baptism? Well, uh, we don't have a requirement like that at our, our communion table. Some churches do. Some people don't let other Christians from other denominations participate in their Lord's Supper. But we do because it is not the table of the church, nor the table of the pastor, nor the table of the deacons. It is the table of the Lord. So I hope you've examined yourself. But what happened that night at the Lord's Supper? Well, first of all, there was preparation. Notice that in Matthew 26, 18, Jesus gave instructions and he said, Go into the city to such a man and say unto him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. So there was a preparation. We've done several times in my ministry here, Christ in the Passover. And every time we do, there has to be elaborate preparations made because there are things you have to have for the Passover. And most of the time, if you need those things, you have to go to a store that has kosher items to get them. And so a lot of times when we do that, we're reminded how much preparation uh, takes place in the Lord's Supper. Now, let me show you what Jesus did. First of all, he borrowed a place. Did you get that? He didn't have a place of his own. Jesus never owned a home. He, he would say, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through here. I'm on a mission from God, and my mission is to do the Father's business and then go back to my Father in heaven. So Jesus never owned anything. In fact, the only thing he owned were the clothes on his back, and they were taken from him at the cross and gambled for by Roman soldiers. So Jesus didn't own anything, but when it came time to have the Lord's Supper, he had to borrow a place, so he borrowed a place. Several years ago, we went to... Uh, Jerusalem and we were going to have a, a, a meeting in the upper room and I noticed we did not have communion in the upper room we got to the upper room our guide said well you are in an upper room in Jerusalem and I thought well that's what you told us all day we were going to do I, I'm glad we finally made it here and he said but I will tell you this is not the upper room where Jesus celebrated uh, the last Passover he said that room was destroyed by the Romans, as was most of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And he said, but this is an upper room in Jerusalem. You say, well, Brother Mike, where did y'all celebrate communion? Well, we celebrated communion at the empty tomb. What better place to celebrate communion than at the empty tomb? Uh, the place is not important. Whether we do it here in the church, uh, whether there are people in Africa today, Paula, uh, Liv and Brian may take communion in Africa, uh, and the, the church may not have walls or much of a roof, but they're gathered in Jesus' name, and he's there with them. Jesus borrowed a place. But then the preparations were made. And he said, I'm going to keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. Now, the preparations have been made. Jesus bled and died for us. His body was broken for us. He was buried and arose for us. But here's the thing. Notice the sermon in the sentence today. We have only one live option to cease our struggles, lie beside Jesus in the tomb, and be declared dead. We need to be dead to self as we take communion today. If we're alive to self, if we're living for ourselves, 
then we've not fully examined ourselves because the Bible says, and Paul said this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And I want to say this. I, I meant to say this earlier, but I'm so thankful for young people that we have. I'm so thankful for young people we have that go to Disciple Now, fill up the church when they have Disciple Now. I'm thankful for that. I was thankful last Sunday when we went to have an ordination council for some new deacons, young deacons, probably the youngest set of deacons we've ever ordained. And I want to tell you, after we heard the testimony of those deacons and their wives, there were very few questions asked. You know why? Because the experience of those men and their love for the Lord and the love of the Lord and the lives of their wives and their experiences were so overwhelmingly powerful, I didn't, I didn't see any reason why we shouldn't go ahead and approve all of them. And all the deacons felt that way and all the staff felt that way, and we approved them. I want to tell you, I'm excited about the future of the church. I'm not one of these pessimistic preachers who thinks that the church is going to go down. I know what the statistics say, but I want to tell you, I see what's going on here. I see people's lives who are being transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. I see young couples who are building altars in their homes. I see young couples who are raising their children to fear and to serve the Lord. And I'm excited about the future. And I'm thankful that God is preparing all that for us. Some things we have to prepare, but some things God prepares for us. He prepared communion for us we need to understand that there was preparation but then as they came to the Lord's table I want you to notice there was prayer notice it says and as they were eating Jesus took bread and blessed it now here is where the Lord's Supper changed from the Passover feast there was a script for the Passover feast there was a thing that the man did at the head of the house and there were were things that they did and there was a prayer, but when they came to the bread, the Bible says Jesus took the bread and blessed it. Years ago, I had the privilege of going to First Baptist Church, Dallas, when Dr. W.A. Criswell was the pastor there. I thought he was an old man. He was about my age. He was an old man. I thought he was really old. He wasn't not quite as old as I thought he was now. But I remember that day, two things stood out in my memory. First of all, Dr. Criswell got up and he had a basin of water and a water pitcher. And I thought, are they going to wash feet? No. He took that basin of water, poured it, poured the pitcher and, and the water in there, washed his hands, had a towel dried his hands. And he said, now my hands were already clean, but I did that because I want you to know that there's a ceremonial cleansing that Jewish people always go through before they handle holy things. And I wanted to do that today. And then he took unleavened bread and it wasn't unleavened bread like we have here we buy this I'm gonna be honest with you it comes in a little box it's unleavened bread it's unleavened bread and and the the juice is Welch's grape juice or some other kind of grape juice but it's grape juice uh, nothing magical about that but in the days of Jesus the unleavened bread would not have been in little pieces it would have been in sheets like we would we call crackers today and Dr. Criswell took that sheet of unleavened bread and he held it in front of him, and he had it queued up with the sound man. And at the time he took that bread, he said, and Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it. And then they cut his microphone way up. He didn't say anything, but he took that unleavened bread and broke it and cracked it. And it sounded like bones breaking. It was that loud through the PA system. Then they turned it back down. He did that for an emphasis. He wanted us to know that there was suffering involved. 
in our salvation. Now, not a bone of Jesus was broken, but he suffered on the cross for us. And as Jesus said this prayer, he realized he was the living bread. In fact, he said that in John's gospel. And so as he came to the Lord's table, there was a prayer. I hope that you're prayed up this morning. I hope you've already had a quiet time. I hope you've already uh, made your peace with God today. I hope that there's nothing in your life that God would be displeased with. But never come to the Lord's table until you pray. We're going to pray in just a few moments after the invitation. When the deacons come, I'll call on one deacon to ask a blessing on the bread and another deacon to ask a blessing on the cup. You say, why do you do that? Because Jesus did that. He took it and gave thanks. He blessed it. So there was the preparation. There was a prayer. And then notice there was the passing. And break it and gave it to the disciples. He didn't have silver trays to pass it to. He took the bread, broke some off, and passed it to the disciples. They broke some off and passed it to the others. And so there was a passing of it. I love what Robert Murray McShane. You know, we as Baptists, we don't put a lot of stock on traditions. But I tell you, one thing that ought to be meaningful to us today is the passing of the bread and of the cup. You see, I'm going to pass it to the deacons. The deacon chairman, I'll pass it to the deacons. And they'll pass it to you. And you'll pass it to each other. You won't have any bread or any cup without the passing. And there's something symbolic about this. Notice what Robert Murray McShane said. So it is in the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup are passed from hand to hand to show that we are members one of another. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. It is a solemn declaration that you are one with all true Christians, one in peace, one in feeling, one in holiness, and that if one member suffers, you will suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, you will rejoice with it. You thereby declare that you are branches of the true vine and are vitally united to all the branches, that you wish the same Holy Spirit to pervade every bosom. You declare that you are lamps of the same golden candlestick and that you wish the same golden oil to keep you and them burning and shining as lights in a dark world. You know, when I was a boy, and that was a long time ago, and I have to explain this because some of you people don't have any idea what I'm talking about. One of my favorite television shows was The Lone Ranger. How many of y'all actually remember the Lone Ranger? Oh, just a few people. Let me tell you, go on the channel, whatever they show, the old is on, and see if it's on there. If not, uh, order some off the Internet, okay? Now the long, better than what you can watch today, I guarantee you that. But, uh, man, the one, I loved it because I loved the music. They played the William Tell Overture, and those trumpets would sound. Man, when those trumpets sound, I got excited because I knew the Lone Ranger was fixing to come on. And the Lone Ranger would ride through the West correcting all the wrongs and, and getting rid. He never killed anybody. He wounded everybody. You know, if you were a bad guy, he wasn't going to shoot you between the eyes. He was going to shoot the gun out of your hand. And if you tried to pick it up with the other hand, he'd shoot that hand. And then you'd be stuck there with two bullet holes in two of your hands, but you, you weren't fatally wounded. It was a wonderful show. Taught a lot of positive values. Hey, it's better than drive-by shootings, you know. The uh, Lone Ranger didn't have any of those in his day. But you know what would happen? Inevitably, 
he would do the good deeds, run off all the bad guys, and then he'd start to ride out of town, and some old prospector that kind of looked like Gabby Hayes would go, I wonder who that masked man was. And somebody would say, well, did he leave anything? He said, yeah, he left a silver bullet. Oh, he said, that was the Lone Ranger. And then Silver would take off, and they'd start playing the William Tell Overture again, and it was over until the next time it came on. But I love that show. But you know what I, I hate now? The older I get, I see more Lone Ranger Christians. Now, that's not a good thing. It was a good thing for the Lone Ranger because he was the last Ranger left. But we're not the last Christians, folks. There are a lot of other Christians in the world. They're, they're, the Bible said, Jesus said, I have other sheep that aren't of this flock. They're still his sheep. They're just not in our flock. That's why you don't have to be a member of this church to participate in communion here. But all of us who love Jesus are joined vitally together. We've been washed in the blood. We've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We've been given the same commission. We've been given the same book to study. And we ought to have the same Lord to please. And so we're vitally linked together. And so when we pass the elements today, it's a symbol of that unity that needs to exist and that sharing. But then notice this. The preparation, the prayer, and the passing are all in vain unless we partake of the Lord's Supper. Jesus said to the disciples, take, eat, this is my body. And then he said as they took the cup, drink ye all of it. Now, if you look at that, he could mean drink all of it, but I think he's saying all of you drink this. Every one of you, if you're my disciple, drink this. The amazing thing is that many, many people don't partake of the Lord's Supper because they misunderstand 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 does not say, do not partake of the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11 says, do not partake of the Lord's Supper unless you have examined yourself. If you've examined yourself, then you may freely partake and everything is right with you and God. But I will say this. If you've examined yourself and there's something in your life that's not right, before you partake of the Lord's Supper, you need to surrender that to God now I would give you two warnings if there's something in your life that's not right get it right but I'll also give you this warning if you are a follower of Jesus Christ if you call him your Lord and your Savior you better do what he says he is not kidding we're not talking about trivialities here this is not trivial pursuit. This is life and death. So don't just think, well, I won't participate because I like my life the way it is. Jesus said to his disciples, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things I tell you to do? I would encourage you to participate, to partake. Notice preparation, prayer, and passing are all meaningless gestures unless we partake of the Lord's Supper. The word partake means to take or have a part or share in common with others, participate, to receive, take or have a share, to have something of the nature or character. It comes from the Latin word participatio. And here's the question. Are you partaking? 
are you partaking? The Bible says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we show the death, the burial, the resurrection, the passion of our Lord until he comes again. Are you ready to partake? Let's bow together for prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've never received Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. You say, is it as simple as saying a prayer? The Bible says salvation is simple, but the Bible also says salvation is not cheap. Jesus died on the cross. He suffered in agony for our salvation. You can be saved by saying a prayer. Jesus said a man went into the synagogue one day and prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that man went home justified. But it has to be an honest prayer. And it can be a prayer something like this, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I have done wrong. You died on the cross for my sins. You lived a perfect, sinless, holy life. And because I'm a sinner, I can't do that, but you died in my stead. And Lord, right now, by faith, I repent of my sin. I turn from my sinfulness. I hate my sinfulness. And I turn to you. And I trust you. I embrace you. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to save me. And by the power of the Spirit of the living God, to create in me a new, clean heart right now. Help me to follow you closely. Help me to always obey your word. Help me to stay close to you. And Lord, help me to stay close to other Christians because we all are part of that one true vine and we are the branches. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Have you prayed a prayer like that in your heart? God will save you. But the Bible says we ought to testify of him publicly. We want to give you a chance to do that. We also want to give you a chance to come to the altar and make things right. If there are things in your life which aren't right, Jesus said one day, he said, if you go to the altar to bring a gift to God, and remember at the altar you have ought against your brother, he didn't say go ahead and present the gift. He said go be reconciled to your brother and then come present your gift. If there's something in your life that's not right, you come to this altar right now, get it right, go back to your pew, participate in the Lord's Supper, and then if it involves someone else, as soon as this service is over, as soon as you can today, you go make that right.